Welcome to the Christian History Podcast, Chapter 6, Episode 28. Last week, I continued covering the Philistines of the Old Testament, working through the short period when the future King David lived among them while hiding from his father-in-law, King Saul, who was trying to have him killed, all as part of my deep dive into the history of the Philistines. When I wrapped up, David and his 600 men were raiding the mutual enemies of the Israelites and Philistines, specifically the Gusherites, the Gerzites, and the Amalekites. Though he was misleading the king of Gath, a Philistine city, to believing he was raiding others, including the tribe of Judah. In order to cover this and keep the narrative somewhat focused, I had to skip over a few mentions of the Philistines, so I'm circling back to those now. And with that, let's get started. In 1 Samuel 23, David, still on the run from King Saul, finds himself, along with his band of merry men, and presumably their families, in Canaan. He hears of the Philistines attacking a city and asks God a question, picking up in the text. Now they told David, The Philistines are fighting against Keilah, and are robbing the threshing floors. It's a bit unclear who they are, but a safe assumption is that it was the men accompanying him. David inquired of the Lord, Shall I go and attack these Philistines? The Lord said to David, Go and attack the Philistines and save Keilah. Pausing for a second. Keilah was a city in Judah, located 6 miles, 11 kilometers northwest of Hebron, to the southwest of Jerusalem. In this part of the biblical narrative, it seems it was on the edge, the border, somewhere between the Philistines and the Israelites, more specifically, the tribe of Judah. And, being the Philistines, they had set their sights on even more territory, especially places that held natural resources, like the grain at Keilah. David gets drawn into the conflict, but I'll skip that for just a minute and cover the town. The town merits a few mentions later in the Old Testament, but nothing really of any sort of significance. Later writers also mention it, but mostly in a geographic or landmark sense. The book of Joshua indicates that it was in the lowlands, likely referring to the valley where it sits. Being on the road to Hebron, in this far or that distance from another city. It was mentioned in the Amarna letters, in an uncovered underground circular vault, maybe for grain storage, has been found in what is believed to be the ruins of the ancient city. There are also the ruins of a wall surrounding the city, which was likely built atop a plateau, and tombs cut into the rock face of a neighboring hill. Back in the text of 1 Samuel, after David asked God if he should go to Keilah to defend it, and an affirmative answer was received, his men became concerned, telling him, Look, we are afraid here in Judah. How much more then if we go to Keilah against the armies of the Philistines? Then David asked God again. The Lord answered him, Yes, go down to Keilah, for I will give the Philistines into your hand. So David and his men went to Keilah, fought with the Philistines, brought away their livestock, and dealt them a heavy defeat. 
Thus David rescued the inhabitants of Keilah. Taking all of that into consideration, he was still on the run from Saul, but living in Judah, and now he was once again making enemies with the Philistines, so much for the enemy of my enemy being my friend. Are politics making strange bedfellows? Or many other tried and true cliches. But the story with this city wasn't quite done. Someone tells King Saul that David is in Keilah, and the king makes his move. From the text, Saul said, God has given him into my hand, for he has shut himself in by entering a town that has gates and bars, supporting the uncovered ruins of a city surrounded by a wall. Though that was certainly not unique to that town. Saul summoned all the people to war, to go down to Keilah, to besiege David and his men. When David learned that Saul was plotting evil against him, he said to the priest Abiathar, Bring the ephod here. David said, O Lord, the God of Israel, your servant has heard that Saul seeks to come to Keilah, to destroy the city on my account. And now, will Saul come down as your servant has heard? The Lord said, He will come down. Then David said, Will the men of Keilah surrender me and my men into the hand of Saul? The Lord said, They will surrender you. And with that advance warning, David and his about 600 men set out and left Keilah. They wondered wherever they could go. When Saul was told that David had escaped from Keilah, he gave up the expedition. David remained in the strongholds of the wilderness, in the hill country of the wilderness of Zip, apparently hiding in a forest. Saul sought him every day, but the Lord did not give him into his hand. After this, Saul and his men went searching for David, who was hiding in the wilderness of Mon. This is thought to be a mountainous area in the territory allotted to Judah. Saul would pursue him into the wilderness region. Saul went up one side of a mountain, and David and his men were on the other side of the mountain. David was hurrying to get away from Saul, while Saul and his men were closing in, attempting to capture them. Then a messenger came to Saul, saying, Hurry and come, for the Philistines have made a raid on the land. So Saul stopped pursuing David and went against the Philistines. Therefore, that place was called the Rock of Escape. David then went up from there and lived in the strongholds of Engedi. Engedi is an oasis west of the Dead Sea in the territory of Judah. After researching it online, it certainly looks like a place that even I would hide in, a seeming tropical paradise in an otherwise barren desert. Saul would head off and fight the Philistines in a battle that warranted hardly a mention in the biblical text. As soon as that was over, he was back looking for David. I'll save the rest of that story for when I get to the books of Samuel, as I really need to get back to the subject at hand, the Philistines. The next couple of chapters are about David running from Saul until he finally decides, again, to seek refuge with the Philistines. This was after the last battle at Keilah, where he fought them off. I covered this visit in the last episode, when the Philistine king of Gath, Achish, allowed David to live in a smaller city, Ziklag, while he conducted raids on neighboring enemy cities. 
while David was making these raids on their mutual enemies, he was lying to the Philistine king, telling him he was attacking the Israelites. He would stay with the Philistines for 16 months. At some point, towards the end of this period, Achish decided to attack the Israelites and naturally enlisted the assistance of David, whom he believed had a great deal of experience fighting his fellow Hebrews. In the text, Achish said to David, You know, of course, that you and your men are to go out with me in the army. David replied, Very well, then you shall know what your servant can do. Achish said to David, Very well, I will make you my bodyguard for life. And David was now in a bit of a pinch. In the text, we're told that the prophet Samuel had died, with all of Israel mourning for him. This becomes important in a minute. Then, we're right back to the Philistines. The Philistines assembled and encamped at Shunem. Earlier, in the book of Joshua, we're told that Shunem was a small village in the territory allotted to the tribe of Issachar. It was located near the Jezreel Valley, north of Mount Gilboa. In the outside record, Uncovered inscriptions mention that the village was conquered by the Egyptian pharaoh Thutmose III, so between 1429 and 1425 BC, and again by the pharaoh Shoshek I, between 943 and 922 BC. Thutmose ruled before the conflict I'm about to cover, and Shoshek after it. Shushek may have been located at the site of the modern village of Shulam, and if so, it would be south of Nazareth and southwest of the Sea of Galilee. Back in the text, Saul gathered all Israel, and they encamped at Gilboa, meaning Mount Gilboa, which was to the southeast of where the Philistines encamped. As the crow flies, these two camps were about 11 miles, 18 kilometers apart. When Saul saw the army of the Philistines, he was afraid and his heart trembled greatly. So, he inquired of the Lord, but God did not answer him. Then Saul said to his servants, Seek out for me a woman who is a medium, so that I may go to her and inquire of her. His servants said to him, There is a medium at Endor. As a note, earlier in the chapter, after Samuel died, Saul had all the mediums and wizards driven out of Israel, and just this quickly, he was seeking one out again. I would normally save this next part for after I finish the history of the Philistines, when I get to the book of 1 Samuel, but it flows nicely here and helps to set the stage for what comes next. Saul disguised himself and traveled at night with two men to meet the medium. When they finally got to the soothsaying woman, he told her, Consult a spirit for me, and bring up for me the one whom I named to you. The woman immediately replied, saying, Surely you know what Saul has done, how he has cut off the mediums and the wizards from the land. Why then are you laying a snare for my life to bring about my death? Which gives us a bit more insight into how Saul drove the diviners away under the threat of death. Saul promises the woman that she will not meet such an end. She apparently believes him, asking the undercover king, Whom shall I bring up for you? 
He answered, Bring up Samuel for me. And the dead prophet appears. When the woman saw Samuel, she cried out with a loud voice. And the woman said to Saul, Why have you deceived me? You are Saul. And you know, this raises an interesting point. If she was as great of a diviner as Saul thought she was, shouldn't she have known he was the disguised king? Maybe not a great diviner, but merely a good one. The king said to her, Have no fear, what do you see? The woman said to Saul, I see a divine being coming up out of the ground. In the footnote, the New Revised Standard tells us that the word divine could be alternatively translated as a god, which is the word the King James uses. The NIV translates the ancient Hebrew as a ghostly figure, with the footnote reading spirit or god. Obviously, words that carry much weight. Back in the text, Saul says to the woman, What is his appearance? She said, An old man is coming up. He is wrapped in a robe. So Saul knew that it was Samuel, and he bowed with his face to the ground, and he did obeisance, meaning he prostrated himself in reverence. The recently arisen Samuel then addresses Saul, saying, why have you disturbed me by bringing me up? Which, as it plays out in my mind's eye, is Samuel asking Saul, Why did you wake me up? Saul answered, I am in great distress, for the Philistines are warring against me, and God has turned away from me and answers me no more, either by prophets or by dreams. So I have summoned you to tell me what I should do. Samuel said, why then do you ask me, since the Lord has turned from you and become your enemy? The Lord has done to you just as he spoke by me. For the Lord has torn the kingdom out of your hand and given it to your neighbor, David. Because you did not obey the voice of the Lord and did not carry out his fierce wrath against Amalek, therefore the Lord has done this thing to you today. Moreover, the Lord will give Israel along with you into the hands of the Philistines, and tomorrow you and your sons shall be with me. The Lord will also give the army of Israel into the hands of the Philistines. Of course, with this, Saul's fear of the impending battle only grew. The medium woman would feed Saul and the two men that night before they left to return to the encamped Israelites. In the next chapter, the narrative switches back to what is happening in the Philistines' camp. From the text. Now, the Philistines gathered all their forces at Aphek, while the Israelites were encamped by the fountain at Jezreel. Aphek was where the Philistines had previously defeated the Israelites, in the battle where they captured the Ark. At least, this may have been the same place. There's also the belief that there were several places that shared the name. As for the fountain at Jezreel, where the Israelites were encamped, this is thought to be a spring near the base of Mount Gilboa. In the text, we're told that the assembled Philistines were counted by the hundreds and by the thousands. As for David and his men, they were found in the rear of the Philistine ranks, and their presence did not go unnoticed with the commanders of the Philistines asking their king, 
What are these Hebrews doing here? King Achish answered, Is this not David, the servant of King Saul of Israel, who has been with me now for days and years? Since he deserted to me, I have found no fault in him to this day. But the commanders of the Philistines were angry with him and said to him, Send the man back, so that he may return to the place that you have assigned to him. He shall not go down with us to battle, or else he may become an adversary to us in the battle. For how could this fellow reconcile himself to his Lord? Would it not be with the heads of the men here? The commanders then reminded the king what the Hebrews sang about David, a song that's been mentioned twice before, one with the lyric, Saul has killed his thousands, and David his ten thousands. King Achish then called David and said to him, As the Lord lives, you have been honest. Pausing for a second, recall that a few chapters earlier, we were told that David had been lying to the king about who he was attacking, leading the king to believe that he was conducting raids on the Israelites. Unpausing. The Philistine king Achish tells David, As the Lord lives, you have been honest, And to me it seems right that you should march out and end with me in the campaign, for I have found nothing wrong in you from the day of your coming to me, until today. Nevertheless, the lords do not approve of you. So go back now, and go peaceably. Do nothing to displease the lords of the Philistines. David said to Achish, But what have I done? What have you found in your servant? From the day I entered your service until now, that I should not go and fight against the enemies of my lord the king. At this point, I have to wonder if David was itching to attack Saul, or if he was just playing along to make himself seem a bit more trustworthy to the Philistine king. Achish replied, I know that you are as blameless in my sight as an angel of God. Nevertheless, the commanders of the Philistines have said, He shall not go up with us to the battle. Now get up early tomorrow, you and the servants of your Lord who came with you, and go to the place I appointed for you, meaning the city of Ziklag. The king continues, As for the evil report, do not take it to heart, for you have done well before me. Start early in the morning and leave as soon as you have light. So David set out with his men early the next morning to the return to the land of the Philistines. At the same time, the Philistine army went to Jezreel to attack Saul and the Israelites. Both the NIV and King James lack a small bit of detail that's found in the New Revised Standard, while that version does footnote two phrases that were added for clarity. At this point in the text, we're told more about David and his return to the Philistine city where he lived. What happened when the Philistine army fought Saul and the assembled Israelites will have to wait until next week. It took David and his men three days to travel from the camp to Ziklag. When they got there, they found the city had been raided by the Amalekites, who also raided the Negev. Likely after learning the Philistine army was away facing the Israelites. And this was no mere pedestrian raid. They not only burned the city, but took all the women captive. The text says that none were killed, they were just carried off. Just a sentence or two later, 
we're also told that the children were taken captive. And since all the women and children were taken, this meant not just the Philistine residents, but also the families of the 600 Israelite men who had come with David, escaping Saul. This included David's two wives, Ahinoam of Jezreel and Abigail, the widow of Nabal. David and the people who were with him raised their voices and wept until they had no more strength to weep. David's life was threatened as the people spoke of stoning him because all the people were bitter over the loss of their children. No mention of their wives. David strengthened himself in the Lord his God, and he got to work. First he went to the priest Abiathar, son of Ahimelech, telling him, Bring the ephod, which he did. David then asked God, Shall I pursue this band? Shall I overtake them? God answered him, Pursue, for you surely shall overtake and shall surely rescue. So David set out, he and the six hundred men who were with him. They came to the Wadi Bezer, a place that's among the largest wadis, streams, in the northern Negev, and flows through the Gaza region before emptying into the Mediterranean. Back in the text, after stopping at the Wadi, David goes on with the pursuit, taking 400 of the 600 men with him. The remaining 200 stayed behind, too exhausted to cross the stream. As they tracked the Amalekites in the open country, a reconnaissance patrol found an Egyptian and brought him to David. He was hungry, so they fed him some bread along with water, and showing their hospitality, which is another subject I need to dive into at some point. David had the men give the hungry Egyptian what's said to be a piece of fig cake and some raisins. The NIV describes the sweet part of the meal as part of a cake of pressed figs and two cakes of raisins. So, probably not a cake as we think of it, but more of pressed fruit. Either way, I'm sure the Egyptian was pleased with his meal, and he must have been famished, as it said that after he ate, his spirit revived, probably well past being hangry and just starving. We're given a bit more detail about his condition. As it's written, he had not eaten or had any water for three days and nights in the desert. Once he was ready to talk, David approached him saying, To whom do you belong? Where are you from? Implying that David thought he was a slave. And as an Egyptian in Canaan, he likely was. He could have been a traitor with a D, but he wouldn't have likely been traveling alone. Those were dangerous times. David found out his assumption was correct. The man answered the ruddy warrior and leader, I am a young man of Egypt, servant to an Amalekite. My master left me behind because I fell sick three days ago. We had made a raid on the Negev of the Cherethites, and on that which belongs to Judah, and on the Negev of Caleb, and we burned Ziklag down. David said to him, Will you take me down to this raiding party? He said, Swear to me by God that you will not kill me, or hand me over to my master, and I will take you down to them. The Egyptian was savvy enough to strike a deal. As for these Cherethites, 
they were a yet-to-be-positively-identified group, mentioned about ten times in the Bible. Ezekiel says they were allied with Egypt, at least when that book was written. I'll have more on them in the future, but in reality, not much more. The Egyptian continued the story. The Amalekites took so much spoil from the Philistines and David's men's families, and apparently parts of Judah, that they threw a big party. David and his 400 men tracked, then found them, leading to an attack, a battle that lasted from twilight until the evening of the next day. Only 400 of the Amalekites' young men escaped, fleeing on the backs of camels. David's forces recaptured all the Amalekites had taken, including his two wives. Nothing was lost. None of the captured women or children, none of the livestock, none of the spoils. After this, they headed back to Ziklag. On their way back, they came upon the 200 men left behind, too tired to cross the wadi. What happened there, and when he sent some of the spoils to Judah, We'll have to wait until I get to the history in the book of Samuel, as I need to circle back to the Philistines, which is where I'll pick up next week. Join me then. You don't want to miss it. Comments and questions can be sent to comments at christianhistorypodcast.com. As always, you can find information about the podcast on the internet at christianhistorypodcast.com. This week... Help others to find the podcast by leaving a positive review on iTunes. You can find the Facebook page by searching the phrase Christian History Podcast as three separate words. Once there, be sure to like the page so that it's easier to find later. Finally, if you're enjoying the podcast, subscribe so you get the episodes as soon as they are released and you don't miss out. Thanks for listening and have a great week.